Well, aren't you a regular Nancy Drew? We sure hope so, and we hope you are too. Join us as we talk Nancy Drew cover to cover and click to click. Welcome to Regular Nancy Drew. regular Drews and welcome to our next episode. This is actually part two of episode 35. So if you'll have not listened to part one over on River Heights Buzz's channel yet or channel podcast yet, um, definitely go listen to that first because <laughs> we are going to pick right back up with part two of Secret of the Old Clock. Um, but first, um, in case you know you don't know uh, River Heights Buzz, we wanted to go ahead and introduce them because, yes, today we are picking back up with part two of the episode. So we have Candace and Alexa here. How are you guys doing? <laughs> it's kind of funny because we've just been talking. But... <laughs> I mean, yeah, we've just been talking for the last hour and 15 minutes, but I'm doing great. <laughs> I'm doing pretty good, too. <laughs> Um, so we do also really want to ask you, um, what your Nancy Drew stories are, um, because that's something that's very close to Corey and my heart, as I was just telling you. Um, and we really want to hear how you guys came to know Nancy and why it is that you guys are both regular Nancy Drews. Okay. Alexa, do you want to go first? Well, I'll let you go first this time, Candace. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... I might be a little bit of an older Nancy Drew fan. I'm 30 years old. Um, I hate saying it because it sounds really old. Oh, yeah. It's okay. But... Don't say 30 years old, Candace. Don't say it's old. I'm going to like go into the fetal position and start rocking back and forth in my corner. We're 29, so we're right there with you. Okay, so you understand the struggle. Thirty yes. years. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I... I've been a fan for most of my life. Um, I am the youngest in my family and my, uh, both of my parents were born in the fifties and my mother, when she was young, uh, really enjoyed, um, the Nancy Drew books and, um, uh, the Bobsy twins, um, books and, you know, just the stories like that, Hardy boys and things of that nature. Um, and so from a young age, she kind of fostered those books, um, to me, uh, and I picked right up on it, uh, really enjoyed it. So my first, um, kind of experience with Nancy was reading the books. Uh, and then I was probably, nine or 10 when I discovered the first Nancy Drew game. Um, and my first game was actually the second game, stay tuned for danger. Um, and it was actually my mother who found it. We just happened to be at Walmart one day and she found it and we didn't know that there was any kind of Nancy Drew video games. Um, I was kind of into computers at that point because, I mean, I grew up in the age where we kind of grew up with computers and learning how to use them at, at school. Um, so I had one at home and um, uh, my mom said, you know, if you want to try this, you know, I'll buy it for you. And if you like it, great. And if not, then, you know, don't worry about it. It's OK. It was only twenty dollars. Um, so I bought it. And as they say, the rest is history. There you go. There you so, go. And I, I've been a fan ever since and even into my older age still <laughs> just as much into senility we all go <laughs> yeah, I'm well on my way that's so crazy no that's so crazy how our nancy drew stories are 
also similar because that is almost nearly identical to my story. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. My mom was a fan. She gave me her old books that she read when she was little that she still had. Um, she also loved other mystery books like Trixie Belden. I don't know if y'all remember those. My mom liked um, them too. I, I loved Trixie Belden. Um, and yeah. And so I got all of her old books and I read them and I loved them. And at the library, we found the Nancy Drew PC games and me and my older sister <laughs> checked it out and the rest was history. Yeah. Crazy. There you go. Alexa? <laughs> um, I was about 10 when I first got introduced to the Nancy. And Secret of the Old Clock was actually the first book that I had gotten. And it was, I actually got it as a gift from one of my aunts. And it's, you know, I started reading it. Like none of my, like my mom or anything, I guess, wasn't really aware of who Nancy Drew was. So this is all kind of like new to me. And then mm -hmm. I started off, I think, with game one, uh, Secrets Can Kill, the original. Oh, wow. You wow. Know? So, and then as like time went on, I was like slowly collecting the books and the games and just exploring that whole avenue and such. And, you know, and I'm 24, going to be 25 at the end of this year. And it's like, out of the four of us, it's like, I'm the baby. No. <laughs> Enjoy your youth. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't last. <laughs> so it's like now that it's we're having like this podcast and stuff, it's just reminding me of all my childhood adventures with Nancy mm -hmm. and it's just it's just so fun. Yeah. Uh, this, is, this is why I love this so much. <laughs> I'm literally getting emotional because it's like just to see like the real legacy of like Nancy Drew of like having your mother and, you know, your aunt bring this forward into, you know, your life in this next generation. It's just so cool. It's just so freaking cool. I love it so much. So thank y'all for sharing. Yeah, what a great yeah, testament absolutely. to such a strong character just enduring through these generations. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Through women, through a lineage of women. Yeah. Girl power, Corey. Yes. Girl power. Girl power. <laughs> so I'd love to know a little bit more about River Heights Buzz's Nancy Drew story. So how did, can y'all tell a little bit about like how you guys became friends and decided to make your own podcast? If you want to share, Absolutely. I mean. <laughs> it's kind of a funny story because really I have Alexa to thank for it because it was her idea. Um, I love Instagram. We kind of discussed that earlier. Um, and I find that there are a lot of fans on there, a lot of fan accounts, a lot of regular accounts that just post, you know, Nancy periodically, that kind of thing. And I happened across Alexa's fan, Nancy Drew account, and saw that she had posted a story where she was kind of tinkering with the idea of maybe starting a podcast, kind of seeing if there was like a want for it. Um, and I saw that and in my head, I'm thinking, okay, this is my moment to shine. <laughs> yes. And, and not seem like I want to like talk her or be weird. Like, how can I do this in a normal way <laughs> and That's not come across funny. That's so funny. Off. So, so y'all actually met because of this podcast. Yes. Y'all. Yeah, wow. Awesome. Yeah. Because, um, Alexa and I, we've never met in person. Um, oh, wow. we live, uh, I live in America. I live in, uh, Kentucky 
and uh, Alexa is actually in Canada. Um, so it's, <laughs> it's like two different countries. Um, so yeah, that it was all because of um, just her post that one random day. And I messaged her and thank mm. God she didn't think I was creepy. Um, <laughs> it, it all ended up working out. That's so. amazing. So cool. yeah, and it's like, like growing up, I was always like one of those shy kids, like never really putting myself out there. And like doing this podcast with Candice is just like a big jump forward, at least for me, because it's like, ta-da, here I am doing this thing. And yeah. it's like, I've never yeah. done it before. And it's, it's so much fun to do it with somebody else that has the same amount of love for the same thing that I'm passionate about so yes it's been a learning curve too because I've never done anything about podcasting before so I mean yeah. we were really starting you know at, at the ground and and just trying to move up so it's been fun that's so cool and it would yeah, be we're something... in the same boat <laughs> it would be so <laughs> fun if like we could all meet in person just you know yeah (laughs) I mean I would love that and I'm always seeing because like I'm a member of like different Nancy Drew groups on Facebook and I'm always seeing like uh, people talking about like this convention that happens like in a different location every year and I'm like oh man I would love to do that Oh, we're gonna make yep, it happen. The Nancy we're Drew Convention to the next one. Corey and I are gonna are are for sure planning to get to the next one. I do think there's gonna be uh a, not this next one, but the there's a cruise coming up. Mm, Yucatan cruise. Oh really? Um yeah, that's uh following in the footsteps of Mildred Wert Benson, um, who was a little bit of an explorer herself um down in in mexico um and so yeah i really want to go on an eight your cruise <laughs> that would be amazing <laughs> yeah okay do you guys want to tell us um where we can find your podcast and where we can find part one of this installation yeah um we're kind of all over the place aren't we alexa yes so we are actually not on apple Podcasts. Because it's just was not working place. for us for some reason. No. So <laughs> I've tried it like a million times, not going. So you can find us not on meant to Google, be. You can find us on Google Podcasts, uh, Pocket Casts, Spotify, um, iHeartRadio, just to name a few. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yeah and it's for our social medias is like we've got instagram and twitter and we even have our own facebook group oh nice. yeah and it's just river heights buzz for instagram it is twitter is river heights buzz just one Z, and then t- facebook is the river heights buzz podcast central buzz oh gotcha cute. gotcha very cool yep yeah um so on our podcast, we also do something at the beginning before we get started, where we try to come up with three words or three short phrases um, to describe the content that we are covering that day. Um, so <laughs> what three words or three short phrases would we use to summarize to summarize or encapsulate uh, Secret of the Old Clock? Ooh, that's a good question origin story that's a little obvious <laughs> yeah but... good 
Yeah. For sure. Religion. Um, Estate law. I don't know. Law. Yeah. Lawyers. Wills. Mm -hmm. Legal documents. Clocks. (laughs) It's way more than three words. Clocks. That's a good one. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Uh, um, clock, law, origin. <laughs> I like it. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So then I guess we will jump back in. So we were just talking about meeting all the different relatives of Josiah Crowley's. And we right. just, we just met Abby Rowan. Um, and I think who's next after, is yeah. she the last Rose? relative? After, I think she, yeah, I think she is the last one. Okay. Um, or maybe she meets the brothers shortly after. I can't remember which which comes first. But can we talk about why there are so many freaking relatives? Because, good lord, like why are are there five different families or however many that we meet? Why can't it just be one? Like, are the Turner sisters not enough, or like the Hoover sisters not enough to of us to think that like? We have a reason to investigate. We have to have so many. Like, what's the purpose of that? Do y'all think? Um, for me, I think it's kind of realistic of um, the not so good side of when someone passes away. It's like mm. people come out of the woodwork. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and at least in my experience, true colors really show um, when mm. someone passes away whether that be good or bad. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's kind of a, a way to introduce more characters um, and not really, really have to delve into a, a, a big backstory. Yeah. Um, so I think it was kind of useful in, in that capacity, but I, I do think it's true to real life of kind of how, how that happens when someone passes away. Yeah, that's a great that. point. I hadn't thought about it in that light. Yeah. Um, I just thought about it in the light of like, oh my gosh, the story is dragging on and on and now I have to meet somebody else. Like, good gravy. But yeah, I, I now that you say that, that does make a whole lot of sense is the fact that no, someone has passed away and this is the result of their life and all of the people that they touched throughout that. So yeah, that's very cool. They do also serve to give us different pieces of information as well. Like Abby is the first one to actually tell us about the clock and how Josiah had always told her, you know, whenever the time comes, look to my clock, you'll find what you need to find there in order to access my real will. Uh, But, you know, if just if, you know, let's say just Abby knew all the little tidbits that we get from all the relatives, it would have been a little bit less investigation work on Nancy's part, you know, because we just get here's all the info and one person knows it. So why is there even a mystery if one person has all the info, you know? Yeah. That's a good point. I just thought that the rest of them didn't really tell us that. (laughs) That (laughs) interesting. I was like, come on, like nothing. We're getting nothing. Nobody knows anything, but I guess the, they each told Nancy a little bit, something a little bit different. Um, yeah. And they all have their compelling Um, stories of why they would need the money that the Tophams end up getting. That was the bit that, that I found so weird though, because it was like, um, how is it that there are so many like 
relations like who have like such like a tragic backstory where they're like kind of desperate for this money you know what I mean I felt like it was like what are you trying to tell me like what do you what are you trying to say here like it felt like they were really trying to impress upon me the fact that there were so many people who were in need of this of this money um and the Tophams are just awful, terrible people because of it. Like, is that what they're trying to say to me? You know, like, I, I just, I just felt like it was very like, um, excessive, I guess mm. that's the way. Yeah. But I guess there could yeah. be undertones to the struggle of social class mm. kind of during that time. Um, I mean, cause you know, in, in real history during that time, you know, the great depression, mm-hmm. stock sure. market crash and, um, rationing and uh, things of that nature. It was kind of a yeah. time of uh, struggle for most people. Um, so maybe it kind of is a metaphor for a look at the different social classes. Yeah. Um, I mean, well, not even so much of a metaphor as it is just like actual, like straightforward, you yeah. know, like I, I, um, yeah, so I wonder how much um, that was like Mildred Wirt ben- Benson's or even um, Edward Stratemeyer's reasoning for doing that. Right. So like, hey, let's show Nancy to be kind of a hero for the downtrodden in such a, a large way as related to like their, um, you know, their social standing because of this massive problem that we've all been experiencing. Edward Stratemeyer, the Great Depression hit Stratemeyer Syndicate in such a, a real severe way, um, mostly after he passed, I think, but like still. Yeah, that makes sense. And I also feel not to bring religion into it, but I, I feel like uh, most stories have the very basic premise of the good versus evil. Sure. Um, and just, you know, showing that in a, a different kind of way. But I, I feel like most stories kind of have that theme, whether Absolutely. you realize it or not. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I don't think that the um, Nancy Drew books are in any way, shape or form uh, <laughs> breaking the norm when 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 they're they're very much a morality tale yeah. of, you know, Nancy, um, you know, doing things because they are the right thing to do. And, and the bad guys always, you know, get their, uh, get their comeuppance. And, um, you know, Nancy is, is very much acting as like, we've talked about this before too, but like as the savior figure and, um, th- we do this because this is what is right. Um, yeah. So yeah, definitely hundred percent. So, yeah. So Abby is the one who tells us that Josiah, um, told her to look to his clock and she can't remember. Uh, she's the one who remembers that he actually mentioned that he wrote another will. Um, but she doesn't remember if he told her where she, where he put it, or, um, she can't remember anything except this bit about the clock. Um, and so, Nancy goes and looks at her clock and it's not that one. Um, But now she knows that this second will has something to do with this clock. Um, And that's when she goes to the Tophams. Um, She pretends to be collecting a donation for charity or or selling or raffling like charity ball tickets or something. Well, this is when Um, Ellen comes in because Abby kind of gives us a description of what the clock looks like. And so we kind of know what to look for, but then we're, 
kind of walking down the street thinking of, okay, how do we get into the Tothams house to maybe see if they have this clock that Josiah, like Josiah would have left it to them. So she's thinking maybe it's in their house and I can try to get in there while well, we run into Helen Corning on the street, who's kind of, um, she's a, not upset, but she's kind of complaining that, oh, I'm supposed to go to my aunt's place at Camp Avondale this week up on Moon Lake, uh, but I can't leave until I've sold all these raffle tickets for the, these this charity ball that's going on. So Nancy's like, you know what? You go to Moon Lake. I will take your tickets. I'll and take. that's going to be my yeah. ticket into the Tophams. I'm going to go there pretending that I'm selling these raffle tickets, right? So clever. I know. <laughs> so clever, Nancy. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's able to sell those and then get into the Topham's house where she, I don't know how to describe this, what it is that she does. <laughs> she like, I mean, she, she kind of weasels the information out of them, um, but they're not happy that she is there um, and they try to get her to leave, but not before she is able to ask um mrs topham you know about her furniture and about you know where josiah's furniture is and all that stuff and she does eventually tell her that it is where does it happen to be what is so coincidental it happens to be at their cottage at moon lake oh where we just know that helen is right now mm-hmm. what a crazy random him. happenstance um, I did want to mention that in the version that I read, um, it was a very back and forth. Uh, first, uh, Mrs. Topham was going to buy the tickets and then her daughters come in and say, no, don't do it. And so she decides she's not going to. And then Mr. Topham comes in and buys the tickets and actually gives Nancy a $20 bill, mm-hmm. which in today's money is oh. $415.98. Mm-hmm. Dang. And the tickets are what, $2 a piece? And he's like, yeah, give me four. But here's 20. Which I think I made a note of this. That $2 would have been, oh, maybe I didn't make a note of it. Oh, no, it would have been about $34 per ticket. Yeah. Well, that's strange, too, because Candace, you were saying that in the um, original version, they described Mr. Topham as a skin flint. Or yeah. someone who's tight-fisted, but he mm-hmm. just gave a bunch of money to charity. So what is that about? How can he be both? Well, it actually described it in my version of him justifying it by saying, if I give this big donation, I'm sure they'll put my name in the newspaper. And then people will know that I'm charitable mm-hmm. and it will further yeah. my social standing. Yeah. Sure. So. Hmm. It's so, really a convoluted you know, benefit yeah. to him in the long run. Absolutely. Not about giving the money, not about helping charity, whatever that charity may be. Let me just further my social standing real quick. Yeah. I'll say Mm -hmm. he doesn't even ask, like, what is the charity? He's just like, oh, yeah, Yeah. give me the recognition. Have no idea what the charity is. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. So then we head off to Camp Avondale, which I got to say is one of the strangest parts of the book to me. (laughs) I just don't, I guess you think, you think of when you think of camp, you think of summer camp for like children. Mm -hmm. Um, But Nancy is like an adult in the revised version. And she still goes to this summer camp where there's like a bunch of girls. It sounds really fun. I'm not going to lie. They do all the summer camp activities and everything like canoeing. There's like a mess hall. They go hiking and Mm -hmm. stuff. But, um, but it's just, I was like, you're just going to you're going to summer camp. I don't I don't get it. Um, 
but like she goes there under the premise of like seeing Helen and then also investigating the Topham's cabin, but she just happens to participate in all of the camp activities while she's there. She can also like check herself in and out of this camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just found it really strange. They were strange. <laughs> Like, usually when you go to a summer camp, because I used to go right. to a bunch when I was a kid, you can't just pick and choose, like, when you want to be there and when you want to yeah. leave. You have to be there, like, for the whole time. You can't just be like, oh, I'm going to be here this day. The next day, I'm like, nah, I'm just going to go and do my own thing. Like, <laughs> doesn't work like that. No. This must be a relic left over from the 30s, 40s, 50s times. Well, I, changed. <laughs> I don't know I mean I so the only thing I can think of that feels similar to me is if you guys watch the marvelous Mrs. Maisel so they in they go to like this family camp scenario like up in the upstate New York um where where they're like adults but they just do like camp stuff like every summer or they have like, you know, swimming competitions and like, you know, talent shows and stuff. And, um, and so I, I guess, yeah, maybe like adult summering camp was like a whole thing. <laughs> it's like a whole vibe. This was just the, the thing for rich people to do in the summer back then. Yeah, surely. <laughs> surely social class has something to oh, do with this. It does. And all these Nancy Drew books. But so Nancy at first decides because she takes a boat out with Helen and a couple other friends on Moon Lake. Um, and as they tour, um, Helen points out what is the Topham's cabin. So Nancy decides that the next day she is going to take a boat out by herself to boat over to the Topham's cabin um, to go investigate. She tries that, ends up getting stranded in the middle of the lake, um, severely dehydrated and sunburned because this boat is like faulty, which Helen does warn her about, by the way. But Nancy, I guess, just thinks, oh, it'll be fine. Um, But she gets stranded and is only I don't understand. It's like she she gives up at some point. I guess just thinking like, well, maybe somebody will come across my stranded boat um, and they'll rescue me. But nobody does. So she like waits out there for hours not doing anything to the point where like she's basically starving, super thirsty, like all of this stuff. And so she's like, I guess I'll try fixing the boat one more time. And then magically it fixes (laughs) and she is able to return back to camp at that point Mm -hmm. what did you guys think about that because i thought that was so ridiculous (laughs) i would have been swimming for it way hours before it happened you would swim (laughs) a hundred percent you would swim across the lake i was thinking too why did the boat not have an oar or something in it to help paddle yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's a good point or you were thinking like (laughs) (laughs) yeah or you would think in, like, Nancy's, like, you know, planning logical brain, she would be like, hmm, Helen told me that these boats break down a lot and are faulty. Maybe I should grab an oar to just take with me, just in case. Yeah. Just in case right. I have to paddle it, you know? Oh, yeah. Or she'd rig up, she'd, no, in real life, or not in real life, in, in the real Nancy Drew world, she would rig up a full set of sails with, like, her <laughs> skirt or something yeah. that she would sail to shore. Like there's no way Nancy is going to sit there for hours waiting for someone to rescue her. Are you kidding me? That is so not typical Nancy Drew. No, not at all. 
Um, so she goes back to camp. Then she decides, okay, well, I'm not doing that again. So tomorrow I'm going to drive around Moon Lake <laughs> to go to the Topham's cottage. Um, so she does that, pulls her car off the road and approaches the Topham's cottage where she sees kind of a strange sight um, because like all the doors are open. Um, she kind of like peeks around. There doesn't seem to be anybody around, but all of like the furniture inside is missing. Um, but some of it, but there's some of it that's left. So it kind of looks like somebody is like literally in the process of like moving out. Cause like there's doors open and stuff and looks like furniture has been moved out. Um, so Nancy is very confused about that, but she goes ahead and enters the building to peek around looking for a clock. Obviously she's looking to see if there's a clock left over. No go. But as she is looking around, she sees somebody or she, maybe she overhears them first. She overhears some men speaking. And when she can see them out the window, she realizes that these are the same men that robbed um, the Turner sisters, the Turner sisters. Yeah, yeah, the, the Turner, Turner sisters. Sorry, there's a lot of names. <laughs> <laughs> the Turner sisters at the beginning. Um, she recognizes them from seeing them in the moving van that nearly ran over little Judy. Um, so she goes to hide. She hides in a closet, right? Yeah, or, that's a closet. Yeah, she hides in the closet. Yeah. Um, but the men come in and find her. <laughs> Whereby they lock her in the closet. Um and I found this part one of the most interesting parts of the book where she um, is locked in this closet as these men are making their getaway and her kind of like internal contemplation of what it is she like she like scream she's like basically freaking out and having a panic attack which I think is fair and we all would yeah uh-huh being locked in a closet but like watching her reading her trying to basically get a hold of herself um, and figure out what it is that she needs to do and trying to calm herself down and trying to think logically in the face of like this, um, you know, this kind of like serious situation, um, I found to be so cool and so um, like uh, something that I think we don't get a whole lot of in later books um, because we just kind of see Nancy as being this like cool, calm, level-headed person, um, which I don't think this means that she's not, but we never get to see that internal struggle of her trying to maintain that, right? She just is that. So I really, really appreciated this because it, because it was pretty prolonged. It was like a few paragraphs, almost like a, maybe a couple pages of her, um, you know, going back and forth of like freaking out, screaming, banging on the door, then thinking, wait, no, uh, what do I have around me? What can I use? What can I do to escape? Um, whereas usually it's just like Nancy knows immediately or, um, or it's some other kind of coincidental rescue situation. But, um, but I really appreciated this part of the book. And I'll point out as well how just how like dark this scene was. Um, so when mm -hmm. the Toppins were telling Nancy, like, yeah, we sent all of Josiah's old furniture up to our cabin on the lake, they do mention that they have a, t a caretaker that takes care of the right. cabin named Jeff Tucker. Um, so she's kind of expecting to find Jeff whenever she arrives here. Um, so whenever she doesn't see him and these robbers have like cleared out the whole place, essentially, she's thinking like, you know, what became of him? Did they like murder him? Mm. Or is he like in another closet somewhere in this house? So she's like, 
fully expecting that she's been left here to like starve to death and that no one's coming and still she is so resourceful even like i would have been yeah. freaking out like you said having a panic attack like <laughs> and nancy's still just like yeah she's freaking out a little bit but she's still able to pull herself together of no let me find a bobby pen no let me see if i can try to like wedge something in between the doors to crack it open you know like it's just it's very impressive given how dark the situation is yeah yeah, I think giving her the ability to have kind of a minor freakout moment almost made me kind of think back to um, one of the games that I feel like is kind of an outlier in Nancy's behavior, the final scene, where mm. in that game, she is so frantic the whole time. Mm. She mm. is not the normal, calm, cool, and collected Nancy. Yeah. Um and it's, I think, more realistic of how your average person would react in a, you know, a situation kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah, we actually, the final scene was one of the ones that we have actually read the book that that is based off to, which is a so Nancy Drew file, the final scene. And it is a great, it is a great, great book. And part of that is because the stakes are so high mm-hmm. um, because of, you know, this impending demolition and thinking about the fact that because in the final scene, it's actually Bess um, that gets uh, kidnapped and trapped in the book. It's Bess. Um, and so, um, yeah, no, her and George are quite frantic um, in the book and being like, no, 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 our friend is in there and you're about to demolish this building. Like, we are not letting you do that. And we are going to be in this building all night until we find her. Like, it is very, very serious um, and real. Um and yeah, I, I agree. I think it's really refreshing to be able to see Nancy um, respond in almost what feels like a more realistic, more human way mm-hmm. um, to like such extreme situations. Because yeah, a lot of the time it feels kind of tame. And a lot of the times we do feel kind of more removed from it. And I think that's just because of the situation is that we are, you know, maybe we're not such close friends with these people, or, you know, maybe we're in a different place. We're not in River Heights. It's not as, um, you know, so close to like us, you know, physically. So yeah, but I I think it's really great. It's really great to read and uh, experience. I agree. Um, one thing I wanted to ask, and this is going to be original versus revised, um, the original <laughs> discusses the caretaker of the Topham's cottage. And oh, um, of course, here we go. I knew this was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it. Yeah, it was a product of its time. Um, yeah. uh, described as uh, an African-American gentleman who... Um, mm his dialect is uh, somewhat difficult to read. And uh, in the version I read, they actually um, get him drunk. (gasps) The robbers get him wasted blackout drunk and leave him in a motel room. And that's where he is the whole time. Oh my God. Like it's, it's kind of crazy. I was not expecting that. Um, And then, you know, Nancy's trying to get him to go with her to the police and he has to sober up. And they even wrote it like that. Like he's like splashing cold water on his face and, you know, trying to get his wits about him. And I was, I was (laughs) I think this is one of the main reasons that they revised this particular one. They obviously changed a lot of that. They don't make any sort of reference to his race in the revised version. Uh, But Nancy has no patience for Jeff Tucker in the original. Absolutely none. She's like, go sober up. I don't care what you got to do. Just stop acting like this. She just, 
she has no sympathy or patience for him and he's all worried about losing his job and nancy doesn't really say it but she's just kind of like yeah you should lose your job since you did all this and like whoa yeah mind equals blown <laughs> whoa yeah once again nancy what a racist portrayal yes <laughs> wow 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 well especially with the the alcohol part of it like you know how much that plays into like such a disgusting consideration of black people and like what oh of course oh gosh I don't even want to think about it it grosses me out so much like oh even when they are on their way to the police station Nancy convinces Jeff to go with her Jeff makes a comment about oh I like this police station because they have my favorite jail there yeah Wow. Wow. That is, that is maybe one of the most um, intense racist um, things that I have heard of in a Nancy Drew book. I can't think of anything that is that. And I just realized, and I just Googled, um, it didn't hit me until just now that during this time period, prohibition was happening right so right alcohol was outlawed right right and so it's not just like the oh the character flaw of you know getting drunk it's also like partaking in criminal activity yeah wow right. yeah so wow very different than the revised version <laughs> i will say yeah. they do also have the robbers drinking but they're like portrayed equally as I want to say gross, like they call right. it a drinking orgy, right. actually, of like the robbers are in there. Like when they go to the, <laughs> the inn or the restaurant, they're just like off to the side getting wasted and aren't these, these yeah. lowly characters for being drunk. Right, for like, drinking. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, very interesting. Wow. So that's yeah. a good I mean, thing talk that about... they took out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, and then, you know, we talked about this when we talked about the revisions is that there were definitely racist portrayals in the the original versions, but in the revisions, instead of potentially changing any of like that portrayal, instead they just take out the character's race um, and kind of just uh, remove any opportunity for uh, diversity right. or um, you know showing other real people of different races in a story. So um, yeah. Not ideal, so neither but... is particularly great, but um, thank God I didn't have to read that when I read the revised version. Yeah, Yuck. it was a trip. Yeah, we tell you. Yeah, but so funnily enough, Nancy, after being trapped in this closet, gets rescued by this uh, caretaker. At least in the revised version, I don't know in the original the if she does or not. Yeah, but I was annoyed with this. Because I was like, no, I want Nancy, after having struggled through this, um, to have been able to escape on her own. Yeah. Like, I wanted her to realize that she had the, you know, she had the the skills that she needed to get herself out of this situation as soon as she realized it and, you know, worked through the problem and figured it out. But instead, she had to be rescued by a guy. Why? Why? <laughs> Oh, the sexism yeah, gets worse. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 
But um, so she she gets out, is rescued by the thankfully alive caretaker. Um, then they go to the police to tell them like, hey, the you know, the Topham's cottage was just robbed. Um, these robbers have just escaped in this van. Then they all go on like this <laughs> excursion together with the police to go catch these robbers, which I thought was uh, again, bananas. We have to talk about the police too, because the representation of the police pieces is wild. And again, I really wish I knew more about policing of the time. Um, but this doesn't feel normal to me um, for like civilians to just join in on like a police hunt for like some criminals. Like that doesn't seem <laughs> doesn't seem normal. No, I, I don't think that that's normal. Um... <laughs> I wish that I had both of my grandfathers still alive um, and, and here because they both um, during that time period were police officers um, in, wow. in two different states. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't recall ever hearing stories about anything like that with just civilians, <laughs> you know, joining along for the ride. Um, so I think that that was uh, very much exaggerated, but um, I mean, it, it added kind of, more to the ending you know kind of hype us up for it yeah i mean it was the excitement and the drama that we were needing the whole time right Right. scouring these back country roads and oh maybe they'll be just around the corner um and yeah it turns out that (laughs) nancy and the cops actually have to like split up like some of the cops went that way and she and another like patrol car went down the opposite direction down that road to try to find them and they reach like okay well they could have either gone you know this way towards like the interstate or something i think or this way towards like masonville or something i don't remember um and nancy's like okay well you take this car or you take your car down that way and i'll go this way because i have to go this way anyway to get home um and if i you know run across anything i'll come back or i'll call you or something um but otherwise i'll just go home um, turns out she does, of course, of course, she is the one who finds them. They, um, cause she just happens to pass like a service station where she stops and asks if somebody has seen them and they say, actually, yeah, we did. Um, they're just at, like this inn over here or something. And so Nancy goes over there, finds them, finds their van while they are like off to the side. They don't mention the drinking in the revised version. I think they're just eating um, in the restaurant and while they're distracted. Yeah, they're just eating. And while they're distracted, Nancy goes into the van, to the back of the van, um, and finds Josiah Crowley's clock, Mm -hmm. um, takes it, um, is almost caught by the bad guys as they come back in, um, but is able to get away um, and go get the cops, which (laughs) is wild. Yeah, it was it was pretty crazy in the original version because there was gunfire. <gasps> yeah, Ooh. the shootout does not happen in the revised. <laughs> nope, there was definitely nope. a shootout. Oh, I didn't know that. And yep. I thought it was funny because the police are like, "Don't shoot unless it's absolutely necessary," and then shooting ensues immediately. They just <laughs> <Yeah>. immediately. <laughs> wow! Yeah. Wow, wow, that's too funny. Uh, but so the cops arrest the bad guys. Um, uh, they they are carted off to jail. Nancy um, <laughs> Nancy opens the back of the clock and finds um, this notebook of Josiah Crowley's. She 
literally tries to like sneak off with it because it's like stolen property, right? She tries to get away with it, but one of the police officers like asks Nancy for a ride back to the station or something. And she realizes that she is going to have to tell this police officer that she has stolen property in her car. Um, just in case, in case he like sees it. Um, she, so she's like, uh, officer, I have to be straight with you. <laughs> I, I um, found this clock. She doesn't tell him about the notebook though, which she has already removed. Um, but she does tell him about the clock, which she gives him and he takes, but she is able to keep the notebook. What were y'all's oh, thoughts on this? That's kind of this interesting. Was different. Yeah, it's different oh. in the original. She, um, does not tell them about the clock and she hides it in the back of the car. <gasps> she like wraps it in a blanket and it's like, oh. you don't need to know what's in this. Yeah. She's yeah. like, I got to move something really quick. Yeah. Wow. We get that out of your way so you can sit in the front seat. Yeah. It's. So that was definitely a very particular choice then mm-hmm. to be like, oh, well, we can't have Nancy do this because that's we don't want to encourage like illegal behavior. It's like, why did Nancy have to look at the clock like in the middle of like a field or something? Like, couldn't she have just like hit the <laughs> clock in the trunk and just like looked at it at home and then brought it back to the police? Like, here, I found this. I think she was just so excited to know if there was anything yeah. in there that she just couldn't wait any longer, which is also relatable, you know, but. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, paid off. Like she found it. She found the notebook. She found mm. the information that she needed in order to get to the will. Um, it's just the whole issue of the stolen <laughs> property that she had to either hide from the police or choose to show the police in an effort to make herself seem yeah. <laughs> not a criminal yeah right. too funny um so um yeah so nancy goes home and where she reads this notebook it is like essentially i guess like a diary of josiah crowley's um wherein um she reads that yes indeed there is a second will it gives the name of a safety deposit box and the key to the safety deposit box doesn't mention the bank but she realizes based off of um a conversation that i think she had with oh i don't remember who it was one of the relatives one of the many relations um that he spent a lot of time in masonville um and so that probably it's the bank this bank this particular bank in masonville um so she talks to carson about it and they decide to go visit very luckily, they explain the whole situation to the bank, and the bank is just like, sure, absolutely, you can come in and see this safety deposit box. Um, which I was like, this is not real life. This wouldn't happen this way. That's not, like, there's there's a very re- a real reason why nobody can just go into somebody else's safety deposit box, even if they're dead. Like, it doesn't matter if they're living or not. If you don't have a right, you don't have a right to their property in there. Um, so I just thought that was crazy. <laughs> that That is crazy. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Candace, but I think this was slightly changed as well in, in the original, because mm-hmm. instead of this, the key to yeah. the box being in the notebook, she, uh, Josiah actually entrusts it to the banker himself. Um, so when yeah. they go, they, they like just have this notebook that references the safety department or the, you know, That's it's there. Worse. Yeah. And he's like, you can't get in without the key, but look what I have here. It's the key. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and 
also there's another difference because when Nancy and Carson are discussing this, Carson is like, we don't have any reason to have access to this. I'm going right. to have to get an order from the court. So he goes That's to right. the court. Oh, okay. Order, which is weird because you would think in the revised version, that's how it would be. And that right. in the yeah. version that they would just go and everything would be hunky dory. Yeah. And go and look at whatever. But no, he had to get an order from the judge. He gets that. The president of the bank is very adamant that he wants to see that order uh, and make sure that everything is is all kosher. And then, yeah, we we don't have the key um, in in the notebook. It was mentioned by name that the the bank was in Masonville. Um, mm. So we we did know that information. Um and also, I don't know if it was mentioned in the revised text or not, but um, Nancy kind of totaled up all of the uh, mentions of like the stocks and bonds and whatever that Josiah had. And she says that his estate was over $300,000. Mm. So I just took that just 300000 Yeah. And oh, gosh. researched it. And in today's money, that would be $5 million one hundred ninety three thousand five hundred and seventy four dollars and eighty five cents. Wow. I think they're yeah. wow. They say a hundred K, which would be about a million today. So they made him less rich from the original. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. That is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, no wonder the uh, no wonder the Toppins wanted it so bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And also, I don't know if this is in the revised version or not, but it's around this time where Carson spills the beans and says that there are rumors around that uh, Richard Topham had actually just lost a bunch of money Mm -hmm. in the stock market and Mm -hmm. things were not good financially. Yeah. So that's the real reason why they were so desperate for this money is because they were in financial straits themselves because Mm -hmm. of... I guess, yeah, betting on the stock market and losing. Yeah. They might have to sell one of their homes. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. What a travesty. Having to move to Moon Lake full time. (laughs) What a sad life. Um, So, yeah, so they're able to get access to the safety deposit box, find the real, the the newer will. Um, They're able to basically verify it, make sure that it is legal um, and binding, um, and are able to then distribute this to all of the very needy and deserving relatives. (laughs) Um, And that is kind of our wrap up of the book. I'm kind of interested to see, because it was much more in the original text. It was much more of kind of a showdown. Um, yeah, they much do have more a little... dramatic reading of the will. Um, Carson decides to call all the people to his home and mm-hmm. says that he's going to read the will. Topham's come. They bring their own attorney. Um, yeah. And it's it's very dramatic. Um, Allie and Grace and Abigail all ended up getting $75,000 each. Um, which in today's money is one million two hundred ninety-eight thousand three hundred ninety-three dollars and seventy-one cents. Um, wow! Yeah. And Allie and uses that money to buy a bunch of chickens. Yes, she does. <laughs> yes, she does. Things really turn around for them. 
Um, oh my gosh. And then, uh, Fred and William <laughs> ended up getting $20,000 each, um, which in today's money was $346,238.32. And the Toppins got nothing. <laughs> Ooh. So. Wow. Yeah. yeah, it is a very wow, similar wow, wow. scene um, in the in mm-hmm. the revised, but it's yeah. it's less money. So okay. yeah. Um, and then there's just a little bit of money that's remaining, and that was to go to paying any of his debts, his funeral expenses, and then that would leave just a few thousand dollars. And he wanted it to go to what I assume was like a nursing home kind of scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the Tophams are angry. Uh, their attorney agrees with Carson and says it's legally binding. There's nothing that they can do. They fire him on the spot. Yep. <laughs> That's dramatic. Um, and then they threaten court action and then they leave. Yeah. 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 That all happens in the rise version version also. Okay. Um, yeah. No, it's just, it is Very quite, dramatic. It is quite um, the scene. Yeah. Yeah. And Nancy yeah. gets to keep the clock in the end. That's her little of trophy course, from her very first mystery. Nancy always gets some quote unquote reward. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. I find that that's so silly to me that they always have to. It's always some physical reward too. Like yeah. it's never, oh, you know, I'm so happy that now I'm your friend kind of a situation. It's always like, let me please thank you with this expensive piece of jewelry that Nancy always has to at first say, oh, no, 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 I couldn't. I could never, um, and then <laughs> graciously accepts after more pressing, you know, mm-hmm. but it's, oh gosh. I almost felt like in the original version ending, it almost reminded me of Nancy writing a letter at the end of the game because we Aww. really did get, um, like information on everybody. Like the Toppins yeah. lost that house. Um, they're on the verge of bankruptcy, um, Abigail got uh, her money and she was doing better and had the medical attention that she needed. Um, the girls have a bunch of chickens at their farm. They like redid their house. Like everybody's on up and up except for the toppings. They got that chicken money yeah. now. Yeah. They got that chicken money. <laughs> it all so worked hilarious. out for everybody. <laughs> okay. Um, so anything else we want to talk about? We got to talk about the sexism. Oh yeah. And Um, the police too. And the police because, okay, I'm just going to read y'all what the judge says, um, to Nancy, um, when she goes to visit him the first time. Um, so yeah, so she's talking to the judge and his wife, I guess at lunch and, oh, during the meal, the judge laughingly asked if Nancy was still playing aid to her father. Ha, 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 ha. So funny. Nancy, are you still playing around with this concept of work, little lady? Ah! <laughs> Screamed out loud when I read it. So yeah. annoying. It's so funny that women, that, you, that you're working for your father. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, there's also a lot of sexism with the police as well. I remember noting something specifically on page 140. Oh, yeah. So uh, one of the policemen says, so you're the daughter of Carson Drew. I see you're following in his footsteps, starting rather young, aren't you? And then he says, not many girls would have used their wits the way you did. Um, Yeah. So just like, wow, you're so smart for a girl. (laughs) 
So I made a note of this as well. It's they they use the exact same line in the original, but they say brains instead of wits. So not many girls yeah. will use their brains. Ugh, gross. You also told me you told me about something that uh, the Carson read the Carson line. This is so disappointing, y'all. Okay, so this is from the original. So this is Carson talking about Nancy. This is like page one of the original. Now, as he gave her his respectful attention, he was not particularly concerned with the Richard Topham family, but rather with the rich glow of the lamp upon Nancy's curly golden bob. Not at all the sort of head which one expected to indulge in serious thoughts, he told himself. Nancy's just a dumb blonde to, to her father. That's <sighs> So yeah, so it's loaded up um, with sexism. It is almost, it's one of the clearest um, examples of sexism in Nancy Drew that I see, which I think is kind of um, relevant, especially when you're starting out this series to really make it something that is apparent um, to the reader. You know, when you think of like, what is Nancy Drew's world like, right? It's like a lot of police officers and judges and stuff thinking, oh, you don't, you shouldn't be here or what, you know, wow, it's so surprising that you were able to do this. Um, the Carson thing is super annoying. Yeah, that is so. super annoying. Because <laughs> yeah. normally, typically, I feel like Carson and Nancy's relationship is, oh, we've talked about this before, they're ride or die, right? Like yeah. both of them. Um, both of them are so proud of each other. They love each other so much. They would both do anything for each other. Nancy would fly across the country. So would Carson. They would, um, they absolutely support each other 100% of the time. Um, and so to see that is disappointing and gross. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I will say that in general, I, I well, because I read the revised version also, so that that line wasn't in my book. Um, but I, in general, I appreciated their relationship um, in this story. In that Carson was definitely he definitely was more of an authority figure to her in this kind of patriarchal and like definitely being one the one to say like yes you know you can go do this thing I allow it. Um, <laughs> but um, but he was definitely doing that because he supported Nancy and he um, appreciated her drive and wanted her to pursue what it was that she wanted to do. Yeah. Um, so he was still ultimately supportive um, aside from that comment. Um, so, so I really, I, yeah, I always dig um, Nancy and Carson and the interactions that we get to see between them because it's so, it's so such a nice father daughter relationship. Uh, so supportive for each other and I yeah. guess her age could have an impact on this as well I could it's definitely true. see why it would be more important for a 16 year old versus an 18 year old to ask mm -hmm. her dad's permission to go to Moon Lake or wherever um but yeah that's it's either way that still does not excuse that comment because <laughs> I'm glad that Carson changes a little bit over time and becomes more of that supportive character yeah yeah absolutely hey. That is a good point, but it also kind of makes me wonder of like back in that time period, when were you really considered an adult? Well, so if you were a woman and you were living, you, you didn't leave the house until you were married, right? So you lived with your father until you left to go live with your husband. And in both situations, you would be expected to obey um, the kind of uh, directions or whatever of your father until you left or your husband when you were married. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's definitely not 
unusual for her to have to ask for permission, even if she was older, even if she was like 20 and she wasn't married and she was still living at home. I, the norm would still be that she would ask permission from her father before she would do anything serious or drastic or like out of her everyday life. Right. But yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Man. It's 2022, man. <laughs> These books can be a trip. Yes, it's true. Um, okay. Yeah. I think most of this we've already kind of... I, I took a lot of notes. I have a lot of notes sitting on my phone. And I think most of this we've kind of already discussed. Yeah. Is there anything that you anybody else has in their notes that they want to call out? I have something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go for it. So... Did you guys catch it where when Nancy went to visit the brothers and the puppy, his paw was injured and then they're going to be like, oh, we'll just go check it out later. And in one of the books that I know, Candace, we've covered it when Togo, Nancy's dog got injured by like the car or something. And Nancy's like, just fixed him up. Mm -hmm. Like she doesn't even take him to the vet. I'm like, what is up with these dog owners that seem to not really care about their pets? (laughs) We we have talked about this before too, um, because yeah, we, I think we we read that book uh, where Togo gets hit by a car and she doesn't take it, or or maybe she does, but there there are definitely situations in which Nancy doesn't pursue veterinary care. Um, the pigeon is another example. Um, in uh, Passport to Larks for Lame, yeah. <laughs> there's a an injured pigeon. I don't know if Nancy... No, the pigeon just falls out of the sky onto Nancy. Mm. That's how the book starts. <laughs> Which is hilarious, by the way, to just yeah. get like brained by a pigeon while you're in your garden um <laughs> so funny um but yeah nancy doesn't the pigeon is clearly injured and nancy just kind of like puts it in a box in the garage jesus <laughs> and so think. yeah i think probably this must have been a um uh, also like a sign of the times as well i guess i don't know if veterinary care was that um that like what's the right word accessible um, Right. Or like, it just wasn't that common. Right. Um, oh, I don't, again, to relate this to another um, TV show, I, I don't know if you guys watch All Creatures Great and Small, but mm-hmm. it is a BBC show. It's also based off of, so there is a newer version that they just put out, but there are two different um, TV shows. One that was like back in, I want to say like the 80s or 70s or 80s. And then they did a reboot. Um, it's great. It's about this um, vet, who, a Scottish vet who moves down to like a town in England and is like um, helping um, that joins like a veterinary practice there. But it's like this rural situation and he's actually from Glasgow. So it's, it's this whole thing. But um, but it takes place in the um, 1940s. Um, and it's still so veterinary care is kind of like in this the middle of like this revolution where most people only use it for like livestock um, or like like taking care of like the animals that they use to work or to like make food, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so but pets are starting to become something that people are like keeping. And that's new. That's like a new thing. Um, sometimes you would have like a farm dog or like a barn cat or something, but you wouldn't consider that animal to be something that you were like really actively like taking care of. Um, you would just give it food occasionally pretty much. Um, and so that's kind of the new thing that 
that and then people start taking their their pets that they actually love you know and they are taken care of well to like a real vet so I think that that's definitely like a, a sign of the times is that they just didn't they didn't give veterinary care to to those animals that often that's cool to know yeah, yeah. Well, it makes sense because I'm the total opposite end of the spectrum so yeah I don't have any children so they are my four right. children Absolutely. As it should be. Yeah. Anytime my cat sneezes, I'm like, do we need to go to the vet? <laughs> Sweet baby, are you yeah, okay? I mean, my male dog is on prescription allergy medicine. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's how extreme. So. No, yeah, no. I, yeah, I, I definitely, yeah, I think it, it wasn't good, but I think it was just what, how people viewed pets at the time. It wasn't that common for them to seek yeah. veterinary care, unfortunately. Yeah. I also thought it was a, that scene in particular was um, kind of awful because in the uh, revised version, Nancy goes up and the dog like attacks her or like she goes over because there's a puppy um, or something Mm -hmm. that, yeah, the dog seems injured. And so she goes over to try to help the animal, but then like, I guess, angry mama dog gets defensive of their puppy Mm. um, and kind of like lashes out and Nancy has to like defend herself against this dog. Yeah. Um, And I hate it when they do that because they always make angry dog like a, like this, you know, very real like danger situation in a lot of Nancy Drew books, I think. And they always characterize the dog so poorly in those circumstances like they talk about how it's like this rottweiler or like some really scary menacing dog um which is i know that a lot of people had that conception but just um you know it's a misconception that all rottweilers are mean dogs yeah (laughs) or or all pit bulls are bad dogs you know many a dog is is the product of how it's it's raised not its breed so um yeah that's a very good point yeah okay all right well so something else that we do on regular nancy drew is we give books a flashlight rating um i guess i recently learned from zero to five um although we could because typically we, we hadn't given any given anything lower than a one um but so if you were to give secret of the old clock a score from zero flashlights to five flashlights how many flashlights would you give it? I'm going to have to say middle of the road for me. So I'll, mm-hmm. I'll say three because yeah. I feel like kind of what we discussed earlier, um, as far as like an origin story could have gone deeper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we, only would have benefited from getting more information about Nancy and her background. I don't think that there would have been any reason to not um, dig a little deeper. So I think it could have been um, worked on in that capacity. Um, But other than that, I mean, strong storyline, plenty of characters, um, a good amount of action when it was needed. Um, The end was good. Um, so yeah, I'm going to say middle of the road for me. Yeah. Like, I'll agree with that. It's, I, I would go with a three, two, cause it's like, it was, had like somewhat of a balance between like having just enough 
of like action to keep me entertained. And like the other half is kind of like getting the facts and, you know, more easygoing kind of thing. And then it's like, I agree with everything mm-hmm. that Candace said as well with like the backstory and all that kind of stuff. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, it, it can be kind of hard when you're, I mean, it's kind of the same way when you start a TV show, it's like, you have to give your audience a reason to care. And that can be hard. Yeah, I definitely see that too. Yeah, I think I would probably fall in the middle of the road as well. I think, yeah, three flashlights. I think if if we had gotten more details, I would have understood more about what why Nancy was investigating. But also, I did feel like the story kind of dragged on a little bit, um, that there was like, unnecessary details like I didn't get the right kind of details I got like strange details about people that like were like tertiary to the story yeah like uh, and and that there were some kind of like weird time wasters like uh, Nancy getting stuck on a boat like why did that have to happen um <laughs> like it was just a waste of a day you right. know um stuff like that that I felt like if we had we had streamlined the plot a little bit more we could have taken some time to get more information as to Nancy's backstory and it would have made the story better. But overall, um, it was interesting to read. Um, I think, especially when you consider that it's the first Nancy Drew book, it definitely helps inform uh, the way the rest of them come out. So I appreciate it for that. You know, Corey? Yeah. I really want to give it a high score because, I mean, it is the first Nancy Drew book. It was personally my first ever introduction to Nancy Drew. I really want to like this one, but I I think I have to go a little bit lower, like a two and a half, maybe. Mm, Um, Like, I mean, like you guys were saying, I just would have liked a little bit more backstory, more detail on that. I think with how they, how much backstory they gave, it almost left it open to some plot holes even. Like we don't really even get... (laughs) some of the backstory that I would have liked for this particular story and about Josiah, let alone about backstory about Nancy herself. Like, I don't think we even go into detail about like why Josiah even left everything to the Toppums in the first place. Like we don't really touch on that. They kind of imply that maybe he was coerced into doing this by the Topham family, but we don't really have a reason for why this mystery was set up the way that it was in the first place. Like, why Mm. was this even a problem? Why couldn't Josiah just make his will how he wanted to make it? Why did he have to go live with the Topham's? Like it just, Mm -hmm. there was a lot to be desired that just left some plot holes, you know? We also don't know. They talk about Josiah being eccentric all the time, but they never say anything eccentric that he actually does. I mean, aside from like, I guess, leaving the notebook and a clock, but Mm -hmm. like, that's it. Like, we don't know anything about his history that would make people call him eccentric, which is kind of a shame, right? Because, like, if you read a book about an eccentric character, you're going to be like, oh, well, why? What are they doing? You know? What is is so strange about it? Um, Yeah. Or just his insistence to go live with other people. I guess he didn't, after his wife's death, he didn't want to live alone, which is fine. But he had plenty of money. He could have maybe hired some help to come help him do whatever he needs to do in his old age. Or he could have gone to any of his other relatives and taken care of them well enough. Or traveled. Yeah, exactly. Why did he have to go live with the Toppums and then get into this position of, oh, he felt like he had to leave everything to them, even though they had plenty of money and he'd already promised the money to other family members just seemed mm-hmm. very 
very weird. Right, because it's not like the will, the the will that he wrote before the final will that we uncover was a fake will. He did write that will. Right. So why? Um, it just though? it happened to be yeah that he wrote a later one also. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what a great question. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, what a great, what a great time we've had. Yeah. This is so much fun. Thank you guys for coming on and joining us. Yeah. And Thank you for being here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, regular Drew's next up, we are going to be switching gears and moving back to the books here. Yes. <laughs> uh, not the original mystery stories, though. We are finally going to get to another series, one that I'm very excited to cover. And I think this one was actually, this was suggested to us by someone on Patreon, wasn't it? I'm sure it was. Yeah, I think it. I think it was. Um, but so, do you want to announce it, Corey? Yes, we're actually going to be reading the first book in the Girl Detective series, Without a Trace. Very, very, very exciting. Um, I didn't. You know, I don't know a whole lot about the Girl Detective series, but I think I, I don't, and I don't actually remember, but I think that this one was probably the one that I read primarily as a child. Um, oh, really? And so I think there is actually pro- probably quite a bit of nostalgia <laughs> that I have for these because of that. Gotcha. Well, so I'm excited. Never read them before, so. <laughs> well, get ready. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so thank you guys so much for joining us. We um, we hope you guys enjoyed this too as our listeners. Um, again, if you haven't listened to the first part of the episode, go over to River Heights Buzz um, and check it out. Um, but hopefully you listen to that before this one. So, but if not go over there now, see them and check out the rest of their episodes while you're over there. Um, and yeah, we'll see you next time. Regular Drews. Bye. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to regular Nancy Drew. Email us at regularnancydrew at gmail.com. If you like this episode, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also follow us on Instagram at RegularNancyDrew and Twitter at RegularND. You can also support us on Patreon. Patrons at the $3 level vote on upcoming episode topics and get exclusive access to our Scoop Sesh series. And all patrons receive early access to each episode as well as weekly bonus content. And to all you regular Drews out there, thanks thanks for for listening. listening.